morning. Just remember this moment in a second. Hopefully that will make sense. All right, well, we're, <clears throat> <All right. clears throat> we're going to get started. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all on this dreary, um, this dreary Lord's Day morning. I, I, wish, I wish we were looking out too dreary and white, but we'll take, we'll take what we can get. Um, <clears throat> well, let's open our time uh, in prayer. We're going to, if, if you did not know already, we're in a, uh, in a series on hymns of the faith, and we're going to continue that with the, the hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. But, uh, but let's, let's first open our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have given us. Uh, even though we may look at it and think, oof, dreary and cold and damp, and yet we, we, know, we know multiple things as we, as we see this day. We, we know that you are sovereign, that you give us the sun and you give us the, the, the rain. And we know that because you are sovereign uh, and because you are good, that, that even dreary days are good for uh, those whom you love. And uh, we, we thank you for how that <clears throat> translates to all areas of life, that because you are good and you are sovereign, any dreary days, so to speak, in our lives are, are for good. And I pray that as we come to worship you today, that we would think on those things, that we would, that we would by your Spirit, have a faith that praises you uh, regardless of, of what the day is like, what the circumstances are like in our lives, but that as we contemplate what you have done, uh, that's, that's what would motivate our praise. And Lord, <clears throat> as, we, as we think on uh, these hymns, these, these great hymns, uh, and at this point in time as we meditate on these hymns about uh, the, the Christmas season, I pray that we would see the, the, the wonder of your work in the Incarnation, and that we would, uh, we would see um, far beyond just the, the truth of the Incarnation, and we would, we would just stand in awe of your love uh, for, for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, as I, as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing another hymn today, uh, <clears throat> which is often tied to the Christmas season. It doesn't have to be, actually, none of the uh, none of the hymns really have to be tied to the Christmas season, except for the tunes. It's really important that the tunes we sing <clears throat> for Christmas hymns are reserved for the period between December 1st and sometime in January. It's up to you. Um, but <clears throat> the words, the words aren't bound to this uh, season. However, hymns like the ones we've been discussing, O Come All Ye Faithful, and today, let all mortal flesh keep silence, are, are often uh, around the Christmas season. So last week, Pastor David talked us through um, O Come All Ye Faithful. And there are actually some parallels um, between these two hymns, which is, which is kind of interesting. Uh, whereas O Come All Ye Faithful would be marked by 
tri- uh, triumph. It's a triumphant hymn, uh, and it's also a joyful hymn. Uh, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence would also be a triumphant hymn, but would maybe have a stronger emphasis on awe. Our jaws should drop. Uh, the, the very words at the beginning, which we'll talk about in a moment, point to the type of response we should have. It basically, be quiet. <laughs> we should come humbled uh, as, we, as we think on these truths. So this is, this is one of my all-time favorite hymns. Uh, I don't even think just about Christmas. It's one of my all-time favorite hymns. And so I need to apologize in advance if I, if I don't. Sometimes the things that you're most excited about, uh, you, may, you, you may have the hardest time describing. I, I told Rebecca at one point while preparing, uh, I, I, might, I might just, the whole thing might be, let's sing this. I'm going to say, this is amazing. And then we sing it again. I don't know. It's, it's, the words are beautiful. Um, and honestly, as you, I would encourage you to, to continue to think about these words uh, as, as you go, because there's, there's just, it's just very rich. So um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the context of the composer and the tune, largely because those are pretty much unknown. Uh, it, is, it is amazing to think, though, that this hymn that we're singing is very, very old. Uh, some date it way, way back, but most would say that it came from around the late 4th to early 5th century. So Christians have been singing this for a very long time, and as we sing this hymn, we, we join our, uh, our voices with uh, the, the invisible church throughout the ages, which is incredible. Um, its history is largely in the Orthodox Church, uh, and it, it, would have been, it would have been part of the, the, the St. James Liturgy. Now, um, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know that history extensively, and quite frankly, I was trying to like, dig into what does it mean that it was part of the St. James Liturgy and getting rapidly confused, because when we say liturgy, we mean an order of worship. When the Orthodox Church says liturgy, they mean a whole lot more that is very confusing. Um, but this would, have been, uh, this would have taken the place of something called the Cherubic Hymn, which would have been the hymn sung around the time of the, the Great Entrance. And this would happen at different times, different seasons, etc., etc. Um, but this typically, uh, historically, would have been tied with communion. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But all that to say, it has... It has a very long history within the church, which by itself is an exciting reason uh, to to sing this hymn. The tune is much newer, uh, or the tune itself is much newer, but especially put to these words is still newer than that. The tune is called Picardy in your hymnal. Um, That's not necessarily the original name of the tune. Uh, it's It's a French folk song. And it was put in a compilation of, of in a songbook by uh, by someone who was from Picardy, France, and so it, it, it adopted the name Picardy. Um, and that would have been, I believe, that was in the songbook around the 1800s. Uh, it's thought that the the tune itself dates a couple hundred years before that. But then Rayfon Williams, that incredible composer arranger uh, for many of our hymns, uh, 
some would be um, um, for all the saints would be would be a notable one. Um, he was the one that actually took this tune and matched it to the words of "Let all mortal flesh keep silence." So the words of "Let all mortal flesh keep silence" were originally in Greek uh, and then translated in again about the 1800s by a guy named Gerard Moultrie. Here's another parallel, an interesting parallel with last week's. Gerard Moultrie was part of the Oxford movement, this movement within the, the Church of England who wanted to return to a, a more Catholic way of worshiping and thinking. So Pastor David, I think, did an excellent job last week of explaining why this shouldn't inherently bother us to sing something that you know is, is kind of looking back that direction. Um, but it is, it is also interesting how many hymns come from these guys, and part of it is because they're, they're trying to look back, and to some extent, the hymns that have survived over the ages, uh, there's a, there are reasons why they're, they survived, and so we, in God's providence, can benefit from, uh, from that work. So the themes of this hymn are, the, the, the progression of this hymn, we start with a call. We start with the call at the very beginning. And then we're going to move into explaining why we've been called. And so imagine if you're in a room, maybe like the one we were just in. Imagine you're in a room and you're all gathered for a specific purpose. But think more in terms of maybe you're in a royal court or you're in a courtroom. And everyone's, there's, there's this din of noise. It's amazing when you think, I'm just talking at this, this level, and everyone's having a conversation this level, which ramps the whole room louder and louder, and there's just this din of noise. And, and some, are, some are, you know, just talking about their week. Uh, others are maybe, you know, looking around the room, sidling up to the people that, you know, they need to get in with. Other people are complaining. Other people are just clamoring for attention. It's, it's a... It's a cacophony of noise and motivations and thoughts. And then in comes a herald and says, oh, co- uh, oh let all mortal flesh keep silence. He's, he's heralding, okay, everybody, what you've come to be gathered for has now arrived. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. It's time to zip it. And then he goes on to say, why? Uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But this one thing that's notable in that first line, let, what, what, let the room be silent? No, it's let all mortal flesh keep silence. The scope here is very broad. Um, so we, we see references to, this, this is, you know, pulls references from two passages. One is in Habakkuk. So what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So did you catch that? How much of the earth? 
All the earth, exactly. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all earth. It's not about if you're in the church. It's not about if you're in earshot. The Lord's sovereignty extends to all the earth. And we should, we should come before him in awe and silence. The other reference comes from Zechariah. Uh, apologies for turning back to, to read. Uh, up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This reference really starts to point us to what this hymn is communicating. The Lord has roused himself from his dwelling. And so this, this call to be silent before the Lord has two, two reasons. One, it's, his, it's who he is. And two, as we, I think we see especially here, it's what his work is, what he's doing. So then we read in, this, in the hymn, And with fear and trembling stand. Now, you may, you may ask me, well, Zechariah just said, Sing and rejoice, O daughter. So what does is, what is singing and rejoicing have to do with fear and trembling? Alicia. We're going to get there. Yes. But hold that thought. So, uh, so what, does, what does fear and trembling have to do with, with rejoicing and singing? So I would encourage us, and I think that's the, the theme of this hymn, is to remember who God is. Remember who it is that we're dealing with. Again, in, uh, in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, just after the passage we read before, uh, we read, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the way, were the everlasting ways. So this is not a God to be trifled with. This is a God who, who moves, shakes the heavens. Um, and so, yes, this, this fear is not a slavish fear, and we, we would do well to remember that we're, we, are, we have the fear as of sons, but we can't, we can't 
let the fact that we're to come in fear and trembling die the death of a thousand qualifications. God is God, and we are creatures. And when we stand before him, there is a good and right fear and trembling. Um, this, is, uh, this, is not just, this is not just me saying that, though. Uh, Paul tells the Ephesians uh, bondservants to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. The implication there is, how do we serve Christ? With fear and trembling. Paul is saying that we're to serve, implicitly saying we're to serve Christ with fear and trembling. Furthermore, he tells the Philippian church to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Exactly. So this isn't just, you know, an Old Testament God, New Testament God thing. No, this is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we're to come before him in fear and trembling. Additionally, though, remember that this call is to all flesh. And there's a, there's a notable place where we see rejoicing and trembling connected. And there's, there's a bit of a warning that comes along with this passage. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I think this, this, uh, this call, let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand, is a, is a two-edged sword, if you will. For believers, it's a reminder of who our God is. And for those who are outside of Christ, it, it's a reminder of God's wrath. It's a reminder that if you are if you are not with him, then then you will perish in in the way, and we see that in Psalm two. But interesting again, though, that it's paired with rejoicing and trembling. It's not we don't rejoice flippantly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it absolutely does. Especially especially thinking back on that first idea of it's almost like a a, a herald or a, a town crier. It's a it's a perk up and listen. And then we get to the next layer of that. There's a there's a physical perk up and listen, and then as Alicia was getting to, there's an internal. Ponder nothing earthly minded. So we, we now turn our attention to our inward, our inward thought life. Remember in that, and this is convicting, think about how we come to worship. We're excited to see each other. We're talking. I am, I am the most guilty of this. And then worship starts, 
my brain is still on the conversation I just had, the people I need to talk to after worship, the, the you know, the movie I watched earlier in the week. I don't know. It's, it's filled with all sorts of different ideas and thoughts. And yes, I am physically sitting still. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm at attention. And yet, I am, I am pondering earthly-minded things. This, this hymn is reminding us, no, we don't come before the Lord pondering earthly things. So I think, <clears throat> what, what, is, what is meant here? Well, it, at, at least it means uh, what Paul says in Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Yes? Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> so he's at least talking about these things. Uh, the, the, the sinful things that occupy our minds. But I think it's also talking about those distractions, those things that take our, take our mind off of the supremacy of Jesus. Um, Paul talks about these things in Philippians, but whatever gain I had, and before that, he's talking about things not all of which are, are wrong. Some of them were, were good. And yet, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost, lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So, Pondering nothing earthly-minded means we're turning our minds away from our own cares and distractions and towards Jesus, towards the, the worth of Christ. And that's what we see in the following uh, lines. Why do we ponder nothing earthly-minded? For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, uh, our full homage to demand. Jesus doesn't come just to be ignored Jesus comes to demand our homage, to demand our, our honoring him. So then we get to, well, how? How does he do this? Well, <clears throat> king of kings. Now we might think here, okay, how is he going to demand our homage? Well, he's going to come like kings we expect. He's going to come with pomp and circumstance and, and uh, demand that we bow before him. Well, no. King of kings, yet born of Mary. Wait, that's weird, right? There's, we see the tension of, of here, this, here this king is, and yet he comes, sorry for the text in there. My, my slide skills are growing. Um, here the king of kings is, and, and, and the same God that we've just read about is coming as a, a little child in Mary's womb. And again, there's, there's much that could be said about that that you've, you've heard and can go to. But just think on that. That's a huge contrast. Um, so this, this verse wants us to see the tension there. Well, the, the following lines do as well. Um, Lord of lords in human vesture or clothing, um, in the body and the blood. Uh, the way... The way Silent Night puts it is also beautiful. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. There's nothing about Jesus becoming man that 
takes away from his divinity. He does not cease to be God at his conception. He doesn't cease to be God at his birth. He doesn't cease to be Mary's Lord as he's Mary's child, which is an unbelievable mystery that we can't wrap our minds around. And yet here again, we, we, we simply stand in awe. Um, again, driving this home, again, uh, let all mortal flesh keep silence is really trying to press to us this tension, but especially the divinity. King of kings, yet born of Mary. Lord of lords in human vesture. This phrase is one that's used in scripture for, for God. King of kings and Lord of lords. We see it uh, in, in multiple places. One would be Revelation 17. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer for them, uh, excuse me, conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So this hymn is reminding us, who, who is this child? Oh, well, it's the same child that we read of in Revelation. It's the, same, it's the same one who's going to conquer all of the foes. Uh, we also see it used of, of uh, very directly used of God in Deuteronomy 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Who is this Jesus? He's God. He's not an angel set up. He's not just a prophet. He's not a, a good man. He's, he's God. And then we get to the, the, the sticky part. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Now, I'm going to argue, actually, that this is not sticky at all. And yet, historically, it has been sticky. Because uh, some would say, ah, see, this is a great, this is a great hymn to sing um, at communion because, because of the idea of transubstantiation. And, and Jesus' body and physical blood are part of the elements. But, but no, I, I don't think that is the case. Uh, several, several things to meditate on there. One, uh, the hymn just said before, ponder nothing earthly-minded. And Jesus, in dealing with this issue in John 6, I believe would argue that that is earthly-mindedness, to try to say that, that Jesus' body and blood is, is physically in the elements would be, would be earthly-minded. Um, in John 6, we read him say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this hymn is not wrong to say that Jesus will give his body and his blood. Jesus says that he's going to give his body and his blood. But what does he mean by that? Truly, truly, I say to you, and by the way, sorry, before this, they're, they're challenging him. First, they take the tack of, of, wait, 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 you're just that guy from Nazareth. But each time they're, they're uh, questioning how he can say these things, uh, the second time he says, they're, they're saying, wait, how are we supposed to eat you? That doesn't even make sense, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and, and each time you would think that our, our response might be, well... You're not actually, et cetera, et cetera. But Jesus seems to like double down on it. And he responds, no, 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 no. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. I think the emphasis here is Jesus pointing us to what is true food, what is true blood. He's not saying that you're going to physically eat of me. He's saying the true bread, the true uh, uh, drink that you need is, is, is Christ. And then goes on to explain later, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So we spiritually partake in Jesus. There are lots of questions that could come from that. If you have more questions on that, uh, I would encourage you to talk to your elders. But, um, but I would also encourage us to, to, rather than get bogged down in the controversy of it, stand in awe and wonder again. Because we just read in John 6, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my, my blood abides in me and I in him. Rather than get all tied up in, 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 in well, what, is, what is exactly meant there, we should, we, should just be, we should just be amazed that Jesus gives us his body and blood, that we would be able to abide in him. Okay, pressing forward, we go to the work, and maybe one of my favorite verses. Um, rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way. So the host of heaven, we, we read of this host in many places in Scripture. Uh, it would be most of the time referring to the angelic host. So God is called the, uh, uh, at different times, Yahweh Sabaoth, which is God of hosts or Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. So there's a military sense here, and this hymn captures that again by saying that the vanguard is spread. More on that in a bit. So this host... Who are they? Well, in Isaiah, one of these guys, or not guys, but one of these angels, wipes out 185,000 men. And we're dealing with a whole host of them. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but in uh, 2 Kings, uh, Elisha is surrounded by the Syrians, and his servant is, is afraid, and Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And his eyes are open, and he sees all around them chariots, chariots of fire. Uh, this, is, this host is a mighty host. Again, one, one of these angels, speaking with John, makes John, in Revelation, uh, tempted to fall down and worship. So when we learn of the Lord being the Lord of hosts, uh, my, my first thought when I, when I, read, uh, when I uh, sing this hymn for this verse is that amazing scene in Fellowship of the Ring at the very beginning where the, the armies of, of men and elves are marching towards Mordor and their armor is, is gleaming and there's this, there's this beautiful luster to their to armor. And that's like peanuts, next to the host of heaven. They would, they're, they're, they're like the 185,000 that gets wiped out by one angel. 
So the host of heaven, in what way are they the vanguard? The vanguard would have been the advanced force. Um, anyone in the room that is a military historian or just more involved with military, they would be able to probably wax eloquent on what the vanguard would be. And yet, the little bit I can tell you is that they would have been the advance force that goes and secures ground. They would have, uh, they would have maybe ensured that there were provisions, scouted out where the troops were, the enemy forces. So in what sense does the, the host of heaven spread its vanguard, that advance force, on its way? Well, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel an, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is one example of the vanguard spreading, spreading out before their captain and announcing the good news uh, to these shepherds, to these smelly, probably really rough around the edges shepherds. So one, one marvelous thing about this is that even the angels... Praise the Lord. Um, and, and we see that in multiple times. It's not just men. Jesus, God, is, God is Lord of all the angelic host and of men. As the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day. I mean, the, the beautiful poetry here. And it's not just poetry. We, we see it in John. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the light of the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Um, again, Jesus says of himself, I am, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of Jesus banishes the, dark, the darkness in our own hearts, but also in the world. Uh, if you think about the encounters that Jesus has with demons, they, they're revulsed by him. They can't, they can't stand to be near the holiness, the light of Jesus. Psalm uh, 36, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. I think this is where we get the, the light of lights. He's not just a light. He is the true light. We don't see light if it's not for Jesus' light. And then that triumphant close to this verse, that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. Another rendition says, comes the powers of hell to vanquish. I love the energy of that word. It's not just that they're dissipating. Jesus is crushing the powers of darkness. And, and we see that uh, in, in John 1 again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So finally and gloriously, we get to the fourth verse, and it's as if we're taken up into the throne room and get a, a picture of, of what's happening there. And there's also a lot of interplay. As I was, as I was preparing, it's like, okay, well, is this, is this really talking primarily about the nativity or, or uh, as we enter into glory? And I think there's a little bit of both and. We see, uh, we see a, a, a pointing to 
the ultimate victory uh, that we'll have in glory. Uh, but this, this verse especially takes its cue from uh, Isaiah 6. So in Isaiah 6, we read, uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the, uh, the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you see the parallels with our verse here? Uh, you have the, the seraph and the cherubim covering their faces. These aren't those you know, cute cherubim. Uh, and, and with ceaseless voice. Uh, one one um, arrangement of this, um, of this hymn is, is beautiful in how they, they layer the alleluias on top of each other. It's, it's almost, uh, I was asking Rebecca for a better word for this, but she wasn't able to give me one. It's almost a cacophony, but in the positive sense. I don't know what you would call the positive sense of cacophony, but it's just this, this swell of layer and layer and layer of alleluias. Uh, and again, it's paltry. I, I don't want to pretend to you that that gives us a demonstration of heaven. And yet, it's, it's, if that's glorious to us, imagine what it would be like to hear these angels with ceaseless voice crying alleluia. You look like you've got the word. Polyphonic. Yeah. I need something to capture the swell. I know, she said that word, but I, I'm... doesn't work for me quite. I don't know. I want more. We also see imagery from Revelation 19. Here's where we get that tension of back and forth. Um, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made, has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe, her, clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Here's why we rejoice. All of this work we read of, his bride has made herself ready. We, we are his bride. And we will be, if the Lord preserves us, we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will be joined with the host of heaven. Revelation use, uses the term host of heaven again. And in that sense, it's, it's Christians that sung this in the 4th and 5th century. Christians, that's, uh, the, the Old Testament saints from long before, Habakkuk, Isaiah, and we will be joined with them and the angelic host, singing praises to God's name. So, as we come to worship, let us keep silent, but not, not with our mouths. Let's quiet our hearts. As Alicia was saying, it's an inward, there's an inward quiet. Because really, that inward quiet as we meditate on God's goodness should lead to an exuberant, loud roar as we worship God. So, with that, let's sing, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. It's on page 193 in your hymnals. And if my mic could be...
just close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you that Jesus is the, the radiance of your glory. And as we, as we meditate on Jesus, we know that you are, there is, there is nothing, as others have said, there is nothing unchristlike about you. And we thank you for the love that you have shown us that, that you sent Jesus. Uh, it was by your will that he descended uh, to, to become a, a, a baby born of Mary. I pray that we would give you thanks and praise, that our hearts would be filled with meditations on your character and your works throughout the day. And we ask all of these things uh, in the, the name of Jesus. Uh, amen.